Welcome to Promised Land at Home Podcast, where we bring people into an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and each other. Wherever life has you, we pray that today's sermon both challenges and encourages you. We're so glad you're listening today and hope you enjoy the message. Well, good late morning and Merry Christmas to you. Uh huh, yep, just like the other services. They all ain't ready for Christmas yet, are you? <laughs> Not quite. Well, my name is Pastor Chris. I'm honored to have the opportunity to speak to you today. And we are in the Stellar Christmas Sermon Series. And uh, for those of you who have been here the last couple of weeks, we have some study guides available to you if you're interested. Um, our pastor, his heart is for us to be in the book of John. Um, and we're going to study the book of John, verses 1 through 18, for the entire month of December. And then we're going to kick off the new year by continuing on in the book of John. And so he has uh, provided us with these study guides that have the scripture on one side of the book and a blank space for you to take notes on the other side. Those are for sale. You can get one after service today for $5 if you'd like to go on this journey with us. And really, Pastor Robin's heart is that we would really take our time with these words and with the Gospel of John and really um, try a different style of, uh, of studying the Word. And it's actually a style that's called Lectio Divina, which is a word that means reading divine. And the way that you do that is you take one or two or three scriptures at a time. And for those of you who do morning Bible study or evening Bible study, you can try this. You're gonna, it's amazing. I've really enjoyed the last couple of weeks of stepping into this where you take a scripture and you read it multiple times and then you ask yourself, what is, what is the word that God is trying to share with my heart? And what are the words that actually stick out from the scripture? And then you take those words and you begin to pray over them. And you begin to ask God, like, how can those words apply today? What did they mean back then? What are other places in the Bible where I've heard these words? And God will begin to reveal things to you that you've never been uh, privy to before. And then when you get to the next step, uh, or the final step, is where you just, you, you be silent. And you allow the Word of God to speak to your heart. So this, this style of study is called Lectio Divina. And that's really the, the idea behind taking the, jo- the book of John slowly, is that we don't move past things. We have the opportunity to really sit on them and marinate on them. And so today our scripture is uh, John, the first chapter. We're going to be in verses 4 and 5, and we're also going to be unpacking verses 10 through 13. And as I studied for this message, the words that came to mind for me are the word life, the word world, and the word Believe. So those are our scriptures, and those are the words that we're working on today. Before we get started, though, I want to take a little bit of time in the message today to talk a little bit deeper about who the author of these books are. So this is the Apostle John that we're reading. John is the author of the Gospel of John. He's also the, the author of the Epistles of John, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And most notably, or at least in my opinion, one of my favorite writings of John is he also wrote the book of Revelation, or the Revelation of John. John lived with Jesus. 
He walked with Jesus for three and a half years in the flesh, in person. He was a member of Jesus' disciples, and he was also a member of Jesus' inner circle. Along with John, James, and Peter round out the three disciples that God or Jesus took aside and took up the mountain and had special revelation with them. And we find more than one occasion when John takes or when Jesus takes John, James, and Peter aside and has a special teaching just for them. After Jesus was crucified and resurrected, John stayed behind in the city of Jerusalem, and he was the one that began to grow the modern Christian church there in that city. He later moved on to Ephesus, and in Ephesus he would be found guilty by the Roman emperor for preaching the resurrection of Jesus. Not preaching Jesus, but preaching the resurrection of Jesus. And he was convicted and exiled to the island of Patmos, where he would live out the rest of his days. This island is where he got the revelation from God to write the book of Revelation. And some of you know that Pastor Robin and Pastor Erica had the opportunity to go and visit this island earlier this year. And they didn't just go on a vacation getaway trip. They went with Dr. Jeff Garner, who is a friend of our church. For those who have been around, Dr. Garner's been here a couple of times. Uh, He's going to be coming back this year. And they didn't just go there to hang out together. They went with several other families, and they spent the entire week in the island of Patmos unpacking the Gospel of John. And so this is where Pastor Robin really got the inspiration for us to dive into this book and pick it apart. John is the self-proclaimed beloved disciple. He refers to himself six times in his gospel as the one whom Jesus loved. None of the other gospel writers refer to him that way. Just John. But that's okay. He had a special connection with Jesus. He writes in his gospel that he was reclining on the bosom of Jesus at the Last Supper. And it paints a special picture of the special relationship that John had with Jesus. John is referred to by modern scholars as the eagle among the four gospel writers. Each of the gospel writers is associated with an animal, and this gets its roots from the book of Ezekiel, and the book of Revelation. If you're looking for something to study this week, try Revelations chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to read a couple of those scriptures to you, but I'm not going to read you the whole thing. So if you'd like to study that further, it talks about the animals that these uh, gospel writers are referred to. But in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, and this is John on the island of Patmos receiving the revelation, or one of the revelations, from heaven. After these things I looked, and behold, a door is standing open in heaven. And the first, verse, the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what may take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne." John goes on to tell us of his vision of the throne room of God and that there's elders sitting around the throne room that are 
clothed in white and that they have crowns and that they're saying holy and that there's these four beasts and these four beasts are circling around the throne and day and night they never cease to say holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. They sing this day and night. On the head of these beasts is a four-faced creature that has a face of a man, a face of a lion, a face of an ox, and a face of an eagle. And it's believed that those four faces represent the gospel writers. Just as the eagle soars high above the heavens and has a higher perspective of the world, so John has a higher perspective of our life eternal in the heavens. Just as the eagle is the only animal on the face of the earth that can stare directly into the sun, the sun being representative of God himself, John was able to peer into the heavens and look upon God to see and comprehend the mystery of God and Jesus like no other man. John displays a mastery of Christ's words and an understanding of the will of God. The books of John and the book of Revelation are shrouded in mystery. And if you've ever read these books, you know that one does not just read these books, but one tends to experience these books. If you haven't experienced that, as we begin to unpack John, and you read on through the book all year, you'll see that it's not just reading, but it's an experience. Church, we are being called into a deeper understanding of the Gospel of John. And aren't you glad that we have a pastor who has a heart to willing, that he's willing to set aside the whole year that we may hear from such a man as John? If you believe that and you're excited for it, say amen. Amen. All right. Y'all are with me. We're on this journey then. Let's turn to John, the first chapter, and let's look at our verses today. John, the first chapter. I'm going to start with verse 1. In the beginning was the world, and the world was with God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Pastor Robin taught on this chunk of Scripture last week, and if you weren't here to see that, then I encourage you to go to PSM Church to our online archives or go to YouTube and find our online archives and watch that sermon because he talks about the incarnate Christ. It's a wonderful passage. In verse 4 it says, In Him was life. It's talking about Jesus. And the life was the light of man. The words light and life are especially associated with the writings of John. Light represents the revelation of Jesus Christ and the revelation of the heavens. And life represents not the life that was put in Jesus Christ for the time that he walked this earth, but for the life that was inside of him that is an eternal life. It's an eternal life. Life from which all of us have hope. When I, think about the, when I think about life and I think about light and I think about this first part of the scripture, I think about how the book of Genesis says God breathed the breath of life in us. And as Pastor Robin taught us last week, God is in all things. So when God breathes the life, 
the breath of life into our own bodies. He breathes not only the breath of life, but he breathes himself into us. It says on here that the life was the light of man. And when I think about that phrase, the the light of man, I recognize that when he says that, he means that Jesus Christ was our light, is our light. He is our hope. In Jesus Christ is an eternal hope, which when we receive it becomes the light of who we are. It becomes the hope of who we wish to be. It becomes a hope that what we experience on this earth is only what it's like right now. But there's a hope that goes beyond what our eyes see and what we experience in our life here on this earth. Is there anyone in the room that gets excited thinking about the fact that we too will get to go to heaven and see God in His glory? Is there anyone in the room that gets excited to think that there's something better than what we live in today? If you're here in the room, say amen. This Christmas season, we're reminded of hope. Stellar Christmas, because of the brightness and the the glory of God, who is and who is to come. I think about Christmas Day, and for all the children out there, and for all the grown-up children like myself, I still get excited at Christmas time. I still get excited on Christmas Eve. I don't have trouble sleeping because I'm exhausted by then. But I'm excited about the morning. I'm excited about the hope of what might be underneath that tree. And in Jesus Christ, we have that hope of a life eternal. Without Christ, there is no hope. And if you're in the room today and you're living a life that doesn't include Jesus Christ, my heart aches for you. Because living a life trying to imagine that we're just here and there's no future ahead of us and there's no Savior to save us, is the opposite of hope. So I went and looked up what what is exactly the opposite of hope. The opposite of hope is despair. The opposite of hope is hopeless. I had the honor of going with a team of six other missionaries into the Amazon jungle a couple of months ago to go on mission. And we got the opportunity to Uh, witness to people who were deep, deep, deep in the Amazon jungle. It took us over a day. We had a car, bus, airplane, just about every form of travel that you could think of, even walking, because when we got there, we walked the last couple of blocks. Every form of travel to get there took us a day to get into this place. And then when we got there, it was not far from the Amazon River we were, we were on a, a, a river called the Nene River, which is a branch of the Amazon. And every morning we woke up at 7 a.m. and we hiked down to the river. And we took a one, uh, it was actually about an hour and 15 minute boat ride down this Nene River. And this was a big river, it was like the Mississippi River. So we're, we're going down hour, hour and 15 minute journey in this little boat. And then we land on the shore, and it's a three-and-a-half to four-mile hike into the jungle to get into this village. And when I got into this village, I began to experience, and I began to feel in my, my body and in my spirit and in my emotion, the sense of hopelessness. 
what it's like to not have hope. I have a picture here of one of the houses that we visited inside this jungle. There's about 300 people that live in this village, and this is one of the nicer houses that we visited. And just to give you an idea of how deep in the jungle we were, I remember the first time we got the men together for men's discipleship. I was telling them a little bit about myself, and I was telling them I was from Dallas, Texas, the home of the Dallas Cowboys. And right, there's some woohoos and there's some haters out there, right? But in this particular village, there was zero response. They had not even heard of the Dallas Cowboys. Like, for real, that's a big deal in my life. Like, I I had to, for a moment, just realize and imagine that there's people on the other side of the world that have never experienced the things that we experienced. And life without the Dallas Cowboys is definitely hopeless. So I'm way off track, but I mean, that just, for real, I'm just realizing that right now. Maybe that was the spirit of hopelessness that I was feeling, but no, I was feeling a spirit of hopelessness. And so the first day we were there, we broke up into small groups and we went door to door to knock on each door and offer people prayer. And then, you know, hopefully they invite us in and we can pray with them. And then we get the opportunity to witness and ask them if they want to receive Jesus. And the very first home we went to was this one. And we walked in the door and there we met Sandy. And Sandy, uh, as you can see pretty quickly, she's blind. And she's about 14 or 15 years old. And she should be at school with all the other kids or out playing in the yard. But Sandy is just laying there in a heap on the floor. And that's her life every day. You, you could tell when you look at the space that she was at, where she was sitting, that that space, that particular part of the wood on their front living room was worn because she had spent 15 years of her life in that little spot. Not able to see. Nothing to look forward to. Waking up every day in darkness. But you know, we walked into that room and we started ministering to those people and the moment that the name of Jesus Christ was spoken... She was the very first one that wanted to give her life to Jesus. And you look at her face and you see the joy on her face. Because on that day, a light shone in a dark place. And the revelation of Jesus Christ lit up her world. And the joy on her face, I will never forget the joy on her face of when we spoke the name of Jesus. She immediately lit up and she was excited and giddy. She was like, I want to do it, I want to do it. They called me over there and they said she wants to give her life to Jesus and we were kind of like, are you sure type conversation and there was no changing her mind. It was as if she had been waiting her whole life for that very moment to receive the goodness of God. Verse 5 says that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not comprehend it. This statement can be interpreted many different ways, and it's been the source of debate of multiple scholars. And I'm not going to go into it today because in a couple of weeks, Pastor Emilio is going to preach on this particular piece. I'm excited for that. But what, what stands out to me in this verse right here is that it says the light shines 
It's in present tense. It's in future tense. The rest of the sentence, if you have your Bible, it says that the darkness did not comprehend it in past tense. But this part right here says the light shines. It's present tense and it's future tense because the light of salvation and the light of hope and the light of mercy and the light of grace, the light of forgiveness and the light of the inclusion into a holy family that's eternal is still shining today. The name of Jesus Christ is still able to save today. No matter how dark your walk might have been, I think about Sandy and, and the darkness that she lived in, but that light is able. It says that it shines on today. I want to connect this to another thought back in the book of Revelation. In chapter 21 and verse 22, John is telling us of uh, his vision of the holy city. So Revelation is always kind of known as the book that talks about Armageddon and the end of the world and all those bad things. But what a lot of people don't talk about is that the end of Revelation talks about heaven and talks about the new heaven. And it talks about God creating a new earth. And John is telling us here in chapter 21 and 22, verse 22, what that new earth and that new kingdom looks like. He says, I saw no temple in it, no church in the kingdom. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun and no need of moon to shine on it. For the glory of God has illuminated it. And the, and the lamp is the Lamb. The light that John is referring to in John chapter 1, verse 5, that says is shining is the same light that he's talking about in heaven, a light that's going to shine on eternal, a light that will never cease to shine. And that light is available to you and me. If, that's, if that excites you even a little bit, say amen. 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 Come on, this is good. This is good. This is good. The last little section of verses I want to cover here is uh, verses 9 through 13. So if you'll turn back with me to John chapter 1 verse 9 says, There was the light which coming into the world enlightens every man. Every person has the opportunity. Verse 10 says that he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. Th this is a difficult piece of the passage because up until verse 10, we find John talking about the goodness of God and, and how he existed before man and how he came to our earth to shine and how he came with life in him and opportunity and hope. But then the scripture takes a turn. And this is an important shift because it says, though he created the worlds, that this world and all of us in it were made through him but yet the world did not know him. And it goes on to say that his own people did not receive him. There's two parts to this. First of all, creation did not recognize him. And second piece is that they did not receive him and they did not comprehend him. So there's, there's really two problems there. I'm going to start with the first. The first question is, how is it that creation 
can't recognize its own creator. When we got into the village in, in Peru, we realized really quick that, that we were so separated from modern teachings in, in the modern church. It was so different that we had to make an, uh, an intentional decision after the first day that we were going to preach the very, very simplest form of the gospel because we didn't want to overcomplicate things for them. And the first thing that I said to people as I was uh, allowed to come into their home, the first question I would ask them is, do you believe that something greater than you created you? Or do you believe that you were created on your own? It's the easiest way to present the gospel to someone. Because it's pretty simple to say, well, you know, I'm definitely not responsible for my own creation. And, I mean, we can think our mom and dad are responsible, but when you really dive into that, it's, it's miraculous when a human being is born. Every birth is a miraculous gift of God. And so my question is always, can you receive at least that? When you look around and you see the trees and the sunshine and the river and all the beauty of the world, it's pretty obvious that something greater than us is out there. I mean, you look at our greatest creations, like our cities and stuff. They're beautiful and they're covered with smog and crime because that's our creation. When we look around the rest of the world, we see the hand of God. And so I struggle to understand why is it that he says creation could not recognize its creator. And then even worse, that his own people couldn't recognize him. Have you ever, like, had a relationship at work or maybe a, a, a personal relationship, a marriage, or a parenting type of situation where you, you tried to reveal a truth to someone and they just couldn't get it? Like, they couldn't grab a hold of it? Like, I think of an example at work is like, okay, if you leave your food in the refrigerator, it's going to spoil. And please don't go check me on this because I promise you it happens. If you leave your food in the fridge, it's going to spoil. Or, or you know, hey, if you cannot get your foot off the gas pedal, eventually you're going to wreck or you're going to get a speeding ticket, right? So try telling that to a teenager. I don't, have, I don't know any teenagers in the room at all. Sorry about that. My teens are right over here on the front row. Sorry, guys. But if you've ever, like, tried to lay a truth on someone and they just couldn't receive it, it's perplexing, right? Like, it's like, I don't quite understand. Like, this, this is a truth of life. And this is the same problem that Jesus was met with when he came to the earth. His own people rejected him. The thing about this is what it really boils down to is have you understood the authority of the name Jesus Christ and the power by which he came and have you received that into your life? Because the, the thing is truth, truth brings all things into judgment. I promise you, if you leave here today and you speed everywhere you go for the next couple of weeks, you're going to get a ticket or you're going to get in a wreck, one of the two, maybe more than a couple of weeks. It might take a couple of months, but it'll happen. Truth always brings things into judgment. And the thing about Jesus is when he came to the earth, he represented truth. And the problem is regardless of whether truth is received or not received, it still is. 
the truth, the light shines. It still shines. It still is. And our Lord and Savior, regardless of whether we understand Him, which we never will till we get to heaven, or regardless of if we receive Him, there's going to be a day when He separates those who do not receive Him and those who do receive Him. It's kind of scary to think about. So why do we struggle to understand this? And I think in two terms here. I think of why did they struggle, the, the Pharisees, because the Pharisees and the Sadducees actually walked with Jesus. They actually, struggled, they actually watched Him do miracles, heal blind people, heal lepers, raise people from the dead, and they still struggled to believe. You know, for one, it's perplexing, but for two, it also brings me a little bit of peace because I know I've never, my eyes have never seen Jesus. And so if we struggle, and we all struggle with different parts of understanding the bigness and the goodness of God, just remember it's okay because there were people who walked with him and they didn't understand it, and they didn't receive him. And then the other part of that is I, th I think about the old, like, you know, back then, why didn't they receive him? And then today, why don't, why don't we receive him? And I think that the easiest explanation for that is because we have sin in our lives. And in the, uh, in the, in the, in the scriptures, you know, in the Old Testament, it was all about the law and, and the conviction of sin in your life. And when Jesus came, he changed that. He changed the focus from the law and the conviction of sin to the grace and the mercy of God. And people struggle with that shift because it's like, how can you be convicted of something and you do things wrong, but yet over here, God still loves us. And I think that's where people struggle. And what we have to understand is that, praise God, that John tells us in this scripture, darkness cannot overcome light. No matter how dark our lives are, the goodness of God is still there waiting to overcome all of the dark places in our life. And we have a tendency to kind of duck away and shy away from the goodness of God because it just seems so complex and impossible that how could I live a life full of sin? And if we're all being honest in church here today, we all have a life full of sin. Everybody here makes mistakes. Everybody carries the burden of guilt for mistakes. All of us have made those mistakes, and we look to a heavenly Father, and we say, how is it that you are so good, Lord, that no matter how much I mess up, your light shines on, and I have the opportunity to continue. I think this is why we see the angels in the book of Revelation kneel down at the throne, singing, holy, 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 because as they look onto God, they realize that He is so magnificent and so pure, and so beautiful that there's nothing else left to do but worship His name. Let's look at verse 12. It says, After the world didn't know Him, and after His own people rejected Him, there's a really, really important part right here. It starts off with the word, but. And it's a big but. It's a big fat anyway. Regardless, despite your rejection, despite your unbelief, 
He says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, not of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is such an important shift because he acknowledges that Christ came as the creator and the light. Christ came as the opportunity for us to live eternal. And though we rejected him, he still pressed on and said, but anyway, you can still, other people out there can still find me. It's so good. And I love this verse 13 because it says that when we accept Jesus as our Savior, that we're born just like he was born. He was not born of blood. Though he had a natural birth, he did not have a natural incarnation. He was part man and part God. All man and all God. He wasn't born of the will of the flesh, nor was he born of the will of man. But he was born of God. And we too have that opportunity here to take on a holy rebirth. And, and being born of natural bodies, we, we suffer in the sin today, but we have the opportunity to be born of God. It says that he's given us the right. And in a society today, today where we talk so much about entitlement and people getting what they feel like they deserve and what belongs to them. But this is different. Jesus was born and died and sacrificed to give us the right. And because he is holy and because he is of God, this right is a stronger, more powerful right than any other right we will ever have. Jesus is a light and he is a revelation. But he is also a gift. And a gift can only be received. It cannot be earned. The good news of the gospel is that that gift of unmerited favor, that gift of transitioning your life from a life of unworthiness to a life where you are covered by the name of Jesus, where despite your sin, you can still be called worthy in the kingdom of heaven. It comes from the name Jesus Christ. And you have that same opportunity today to be reborn. But the question that I'll close with today, and I'll invite the worship team to come back up here. The question that lays on my heart is, have you believed in the name? Because it, it ends that sentence by saying, to those who believe in his name. And the reason it says that is because his name is the authority by which he came. The son of God. John makes really clear that in, in verses 11 and 12, that there's two sets of people. There's a set of people who don't believe. And there's a set of people who do believe. And as I said before, a time is coming when he's going to separate those who do not believe and those will be left in complete and utter darkness for eternity. Hopeless. But for those who will believe, you'll go on into heaven 
And you'll get to witness the glory of God and the light which shines on forever and ever. What does the name of Jesus mean to you? John, the the eagle, he recognizes the name of Jesus as light. The name of Jesus is life. The name of Jesus is truth. The name of Jesus is the word, the beginning, the creation. In the book of Revelation, John describes Jesus Christ in a couple of different places. I want to read a little bit of that to you, and I'm just praying that you would take this moment to get a vision of who Jesus Christ is. First chapter of Revelation in verse 5 says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, in other words, the first one to be resurrected, implying that more will be reborn. The ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us, do you call him a loving father? To him who has released us from our sins by his blood, he has made us to be a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. And he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, meaning the beginning and the end, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And then watch this in in verse 12, John says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, This is a picture of Jesus, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burning bronze when it has been made to glow in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword. And watch this. His face was like the sun, shining in its strength. A couple of chapters later, in the fifth chapter, verses 9 through 12, he's talking about the throne room and the angels all around the throne singing and he says in verse 9 and they sang a new song that's why the worship team is up here with me right now because we're going to have the opportunity to sing a new song right now and the song says worthy are you to take the book and break its seals for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood with your blood men from every tribe and every tongue and every people and nation You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne 
and living creatures and elders, and the number of them was myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that He was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Would you stand and pray with me today? Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness, Lord God. I thank you today that you provided a way for us to be part, to be part of the thousands and thousands of holy beings and angels and people and souls that are going to one day worship the brightest light that shines on continually that we're going to have the opportunity to worship the name of Jesus eternal and that all things will be changed and that we will be reborn into a new life that's not a life of this flesh or life of our will, but it just becomes a life of God. We want to know you, Lord. We want to find you. We want to seek you, Lord. God, I just pray that in this season, that as we study the book of John, Lord God, that you just break open revelation to us that we've never seen or experienced before. And if you're here in the room today and you've been contemplating just giving up and surrendering to God, this is the moment right now. You can call on the name of Jesus and just simply say, Lord, you are worthy. I admit to you today, Lord God, that I am a sinner. And I want to accept your son as a sacrifice. I believe that he was sent to be a sacrifice to cover my sin so that one day I can join you in heaven. Lord God, I accept the name of Jesus as the name above all names. I invite you into my heart to be the king of my heart and the king of my life. And Lord, I invite you to sit on the throne of my existence and be my leader, be my guide, be my king. I surrender you to surrender today to you, Lord God. And Lord, I want to join with the angels in heaven today, the thousands and thousands that sing worthy is the name of Jesus. I can't wait for that day. It is in your mighty name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget we want to connect with you. You can find us on Facebook and YouTube by searching Promised Land San Marcos, on Instagram at PSM Church, or on our website, psmchurch.com. Thanks again for listening to the Promised Land at Home podcast.